Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verse 16 today. We are actually jumping back into our Take Your Stand series today. Take Your Stand. We actually took a couple weeks um, off of this. And so um, I just want to kind of fill you in here. Last week, uh, Scott actually brought a message. We kind of got the, today's, you know, Pentecost Sunday, but we kind of got that um, kind of got a week early there. So you got our message there. If you didn't, if you missed last week's message, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, just a powerful, powerful message, um, just about the Spirit of God as in on Jesus and for what, and that same Spirit's on us. Really awesome. Then a couple of weeks ago was Mother's Day, and we celebrated that, that and, and talked about that. So it's been a few weeks since our last installment on this series, and we're, so we're jumping back in. So let me just remind you, since it's been a few weeks here, what, um, what this is all about. This, this, this series is to challenge you and encourage you, but challenge you to take your stand. Take your stand. I mean, I'm not sure I can think of a better time, a greater time to take your stand than right now. And I'm not talking about your opinions, though some of us do well at that. I'm not I'm talking about your political views, even though some of us do really well at that. I'm talking about your stand for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and your life being marked by that. And that's what this series is about. It is time to take our stand against in the real battle that's going on, in the real battle, which is the spiritual one that's happening in the unseen. And there's evidence of it in, in the scene, okay, and what we see around us. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying that at all, but the, the real battle is in the spiritual realm. Okay, and, I, and that's, what, that's what takes us here to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm just going to read through this, just give you guys a little bit of recap. Verse 10, where we really started, said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take your stand, okay? That's the whole heart of this. And I know that when we talk, it's like, oh, hey, armor of God, I know this, I know this. But it's like, no, the context here is we've gotta be able to take our stand. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Prepare yourself, protect yourself. Be ready to take your stand. In verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand. And so we, we went through the, these first few, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We talked about that the first week. This, is, this was kind of thing that held everything together. There's actually other pieces of armor that would be, would be placed on this or strapped to this or put into this. And so um, this was vital. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John chapter one uses a name for Jesus that is the word. The word was with God and he was God. And he came and was made flesh. And so the word of God, the truth, of God's word, Jesus himself. That's what is our foundation. And then um, we have the breastplate of righteousness, okay? And this would have been something that really 
showed who you were as a soldier. I mean, it would be pretty, even us today, if we saw the breastplate of, of a Roman soldier, you'd be like, yeah, that's a Roman, that's a Roman soldier. We would just know it. But it protected the vitals. What's right here for most of us? Your heart your sh- should be there. <laughs> just in case it wasn't, if you didn't have one, but it's right there, your heart, right? And that's why the breastplate was so important, protected that. Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And the, our righteousness, the way we act out our faith, it guards our heart. What's in our heart will overflow. And so we, we do that. And then, um, and then as you go in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And Scott even talked about how a Roman soldier's sandals were specifically designed to help them stand their ground with small spikes in the back of them so they could stand their ground. And that's like us with the readiness of the gospel of peace that we bring. And so if you missed any of those messages, I encourage you, Go back, listen to those. But at this point, we're gonna jump into verse 16. It's interesting when you hit verse 16 because there is kind of a turn that happens in, in, in this, this passage because um, before this, he had said, put on, right? We all get that, put on the full armor of God. Put on the, the breastplate, the belt, the sandals. They're all part of the uniform. But then at this point, it changes and he says, take up. He starts to say, take up, look here. It says, in addition to all, the, all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So there's a change here. And he actually says, in, in addition to all this, in some translations, it says, in all circumstances or above all or besides all, just helping to emphasize not just the importance of putting on the uniform but, and the, the few commands before that, but what's coming next is like, hey, this is, we're changing here. Because here's the thing, a soldier's job is not just to put on the uniform, but to fight the battle, stand the ground, and conquer the enemy. You can look the part, preach, get it, it's a good one. You can look the part, but unless you take up the tools of a soldier, you're not gonna be any good in that battle. My, hey guys, I think, I think I'm not the only one who got a sunburn yesterday. Is that, is that right? Like you guys, you guys struggling? The sun got you? Okay, everybody do this. Just lift your hands up in the air like this. Stretch. Do one of those, do one of those. Okay, all right. And those of you who didn't, I know you're sleeping, so I know what to throw at you. I got, I got some stuff up here that I could throw at you. But, but we can't just look the part. And that's not, the, that's not to say those other things aren't important. They're absolutely important. I mean, those are foundational for us as believers and, and being able to, 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 to do what we need to do and be who we need to be. But there's a point here where we gotta take up the tools of the trade. We gotta fulfill our duty. And this is where we talk about, we gotta take our stand in the battle that's coming. All right, and we'll get into in a couple of weeks, some offensive tools, all right? And some things that they would have carried and some things that we need to carry with us. But here we are, verse 16, and I'll read it again. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Would you pray with me over this, this, this passage we're looking at? Lord, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth. And I pray we all have that belt of truth just buckled around our waist. God, and that this would be something that just flows out from in us. And God, would you use it this morning to do your work and your will in Jesus' name, amen. So the shield of faith, that's what we're talking about this morning, the shield of faith. I'm gonna get, sorry, I gotta so now remember this, Paul is writing this, okay? The apostle Paul, and most likely he's writing 
Well, we actually know he's writing from prison, okay? He's writing this letter to the, the Ephesian, the churches in um, Ephesus from prison. And so most likely he is either chained to a Roman soldier or at the very least guarded by one day and night, okay? And so it's when he was writing this, he's like, it's like, and he sees this soldier and says, it's like, put on the full armor of God, just like they do. And he's going through these different pieces. And so understanding that when he's saying this, not only is he, um, you know, either chained to or guarded by a Roman soldier, this was in the Roman empire. So when you said soldier, they would have thought Roman soldier, okay? And so this is the, the, the pieces that they were looking at. And so there were, um, for you history nerds, you're gonna enjoy this. For you who are not, sorry, just buckle up and join us, okay? So show that picture. There's, there were several shields used in, um, throughout the Roman Empire. And so the, the, the one in the middle is called a parma, and it was very much um, kind of based out of Greek, um, what they did with Spartan soldiers. And so that would have been used in the phalanx formation. You guys who are nerds would know what I'm talking about. But they would have used that shield, and they kind of adopted that because, of course, they conquered them. And, um, and the Greeks were a great empire before that. But then sometime in the first, second century B.C., so this has been just a little bit before um, but, but before we were seeing this in first century AD, of course, right? They went to this scutum. I probably saying that wrong, all right? But that's that seal on the left. Would you show the next picture? Um, yeah. So that is an actual shield that was found. Okay, it's a little bit beat up because um, it's real old, all right? But this is an actual um, picture of it. Yes, get it? It's from like the first century probably. All right, and so this is the shield they had, they had adopted, okay? And I want you to understand about this thing is it was massive, it was almost four feet tall, okay? Almost a foot and a half wide and almost a foot deep because you can see in that picture, it's curved, okay? And that's the shield they used and it had this metal boss right in the front. That one's missing it where you would hold on to it, but it had this boss that could even be offensive, right? This, that protected the hand as well. I mean, it was just this massive shield, okay? And it was used in a formation called a testudo, which means tortoise. So show that next picture. That was the formation, okay? And so that's why this shield was designed the way it was. I mean, there is no holes in that. And just, this is incredible. And, and I want you to understand is this is the shield that would come to mind when they said, when he starts talking about these different pieces of armor, okay? This would look very familiar to these people, whether it was a Roman legion, because legion soldiers that would have been marching through cities would have been carrying these. You know, one's on horseback, where they used the Parma that whole time. Um, that other shield was later on, kind of the best of both worlds kind of thing that they switched to. But this would have been what they carried through when you just had a huge legion of soldiers just marching through. That's what they would have seen. Or say maybe your city had been sieged by Roman soldiers. You would have seen that, right? Throwing stuff down, it didn't matter. It would have blocked all that. And so this is the shield that he has in mind when he says, take up the shield of faith. It's not, and that's what I say, it's not just some little shield, um, you know, some little prop we'd have. This was a massive uh, weapon of war. I mean, this was, this is why, you know, they, they used smaller swords in the, the Roman Empire. A gladius is about that long. It's pretty short. And it's because this was the main weapon. I mean, this was the main way you did things and you just needed to, you know, do one of these, you know, a little stab action every now and then. But that was probably one of the most vital pieces of their arsenal was the shield. That's the picture that came to mind. It's an incredible defensive tool. And Paul says, faith is like that for you. 
faith is like that for you. Why faith? Why would faith be, why would faith be compared to that? And I think we just sometimes underestimate the power of our faith. And most importantly, we'll take us to our first point here, is God's faithfulness. And so the first reason why the shield is of faith is, is, is God is faithful. You can fill that in on your notes or if you're watching online, welcome. Um, you can get those notes online as well and see those. And I filled in the answers for you. Look at that. All right. So Psalm 91, one through four says this, whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And a rampart is a barrier, okay? They would have actually called the city walls the rampart, okay? He says, he says his faithfulness is your shield and rampart. God's faithfulness is what protects you. God's faithfulness is like a city wall. Other areas, and we'll talk about this in a second, but other areas are like, they, they use the word fortress. God, have you ever heard the phrase, God is my fortress? His, it's because of his faithfulness. It's because he will always come through for you. And remember, God's faithfulness is not subject to circumstance and what you're facing. Psalm 46.6 says, nations are in uproar. <clears throat> Let me read that again. Nations are in uproar. Sound familiar? Okay. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Just a word from God can settle all that. And even more so, I mean, we see our nation uproar, but in this time period, I mean, when they say na nation's in an uproar, we're talking like uproar, like battles and people fight, I mean, Roman Empire coming and taking over everything. I mean, but he lifts his voice and the earth melts. Guys, we can trust God in any and every circumstance. And whatever you're facing today, God is faithful. God is faithful whether it's an uproar of a nation or you just need to hear his voice to guide you in some, some specific area. How many of you ever felt like you didn't know what to say when you faced an opportunity um, maybe to share, uh, share your relationship with Christ with somebody? How many of you ever felt like you just didn't know what to say? You just didn't. I th I'm glad I'm the only one that has felt like that. I appreciate it. It's all right. Pastor Matt just didn't know what to say. Everybody else? Let's try that again. How many of you have been in a situation where you're like, man, I'm just not sure what to say in this moment. Thank you. Thank you for not, for waking up and getting elbow by your wife. And okay, thanks. It made me feel better. But I, I, several years ago, I read this, this story from a young guy named John Mark who um, volunteered a year of his life to go overseas into Africa with what's called the Live Dead Initiative through the Assemblies of God World Missions. And, um, and he, he wrote out this, this, uh, this thing, and I just wanna read it. I thought it was pretty interesting. He says, I stare at the rugged wooden pole completely dumbstruck. A moment before that, I thought I had what was a reasonable answer. Then my mind goes completely blank. I stand in front of about 150 students at a boys' school outside of Nairobi, Kenya. I'm hosting a team from the US that is leading an outreach at the school. My job is to introduce them then I get to sit back and relax. At the end of the program, students send in questions on slips of paper to the team. A teenage girl on the team reads this question from a Muslim student. Why should I believe in your God, 
my God is followed by millions of people and has helped me in my life. Honestly, I think, I'm glad I'm not answering that one. I'm glad he's honest, like I would be. Okay, so um, she talks about Jesus. She talks about his love, his sacrifice. It's a short, reasonable answer, but I remember thinking that I probably wouldn't be convinced. I remember minutes later, a colleague passes me a sheet of paper. I'm not supposed to be answering questions this day, so I'm a little confused. Which, um, uh, and says, the note says, John Mark, your friend has, hasn't convinced me about your God. What she said describes my God. FYI, I don't know your God. Man, how many of you like that answer? I have to answer that. Ready, set, go. Right? He says, I can't pass this off. I can't ignore it. It's addressed directly to me. A few minutes later, after fumbling around my Bible for something to say, I step up and face 150 pairs of eyes. I read the question and a hush falls on the crowd. I struggle to find words. My sentences are a bit rough with little rhetoric wit. I pause for a moment to gather myself. I put my hand against the pole jutting up from the ground and my mind goes completely blank. Anything I thought I was gonna say, gone. I stare at the pole, 10 seconds, silence, 15 seconds, nothing, 20 seconds. Then in total desperation, I whisper a prayer, Lord, help me. In this moment when I realize I have no idea what I'm doing, the Holy Spirit moves in my heart and it hits me. Jesus is my best friend. I feel him standing right next to me, right beside me, and I smile. As I break the silence, my voice is strong. I challenge the student and ask if he could call his God a friend. Jesus is not some abstract idea of a God. I talk about how I have seen him and I know he is real because my eyes have seen his works. Man, what a cool story. And you know, God comes through, God is faithful. Whether it's for a missionary in the field needing just in a desperate moment of 150 kids that have an opportunity to know why Jesus is different and what makes him real. Or for you and maybe a moment, or I, and maybe a moment of trial or something that we're facing. You know, Psalm 46, 10 and 11 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Man, his faithfulness will always guard you. It will always protect you. He will always be there for you. He says he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can trust God because he's trustworthy. You can have faith in God because he's faithful. Second thing is this, salvation is through faith. Hey, this may seem like a Sunday school answer, but here it goes. One of the reasons is because salvation is through faith. Okay? Our faith in God is really the pillar of our salvation in Christ. Romans 4, 1 through 3 says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And then in verse 13, it says, It was not through law that Abraham and his offering received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I think it's so interesting when they talk about this. He's talking about all the way back in Abraham's day. The reason he was righteous and, and, and received the promise was because of his, his trust in God, his belief in God, his faith in God. It really didn't have to do with those, those works, those followed from that. And then even in Ephesians talking to us, it says, By grace you've been saved by Jesus Christ, not 
not, it was through your faith, through your belief in him, not by the what you did for him. And for thousands of years, God has been trying to get us to understand that your salvation, your reconciliation with God is through your faith and just believing in him. Okay, believe and confess. Your personal faith, my personal faith is what reconciles us to God and saves us. And really for that cause, man, a shield is an understatement. That's when we gotta get to the fortress, the, the, the city walls. I mean, just understand there is no greater protection. There's no greater th- than the salvation we have through Jesus Christ, all right? And that's one of the reasons that shields our faith, all right? That formation we saw of the Roman soldiers, I mean, that's nothing compared to our salvation in Christ, okay? It's like a fortress. The God of Jacob is my fortress. There is no greater thing than that. But the third point is really what I wanna get to today, and that's this, faith defeats Satan. Faith defeats Satan. Look back at verse 16. It says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, I coach middle school wrestling because somebody has to. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding most of the time. But um, no, I really enjoy it. I've done it for uh, about a decade now, and um, I really enjoy it. But one of the things that's interesting, I mean, every sport has its competition, and there's always this, what I'm going to say is kind of part of all of them, but wrestling kind of has a, a unique part to it that it's just man-to-man. It's one-on-one. There's no other, like, tools of the trade. It's just, like, you versus one other guy, and that's it. And it's, like, whoever can can win. And so the competition is kind of unique in that. Um, but one of the things that often, can often happen this can happen in other sports, but it's different when it's just you, is we'll have, we'll, we'll be, you know, coaching a kid, we'll send him out there and he'll, he'll lose a match and he'll come off. And I'll look at my coach and I'll say, he lost that, that match before he even stepped out on the mat because he thought, man, I'm gonna get killed, you know? And, and like I said, that can happen in other, other sports, but sometimes when it's just you and you think that, it's over, like it's done. And in now here in this passage, Paul makes a direct correlation between our faith, what you believe and what I believe, and the enemy's attempt to destroy you. And he says that your shield will extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. In other words, your faith derails Satan's mission. Okay? And really even the word that, when I say that our faith defeats Satan, it's even more of an idea of it like smothers it. It, 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 it takes away the power. You know, just like it would extinguish the arrows. Because here's the thing, Satan's only real tactic, his, uh, his only real chance is to get you to doubt your faith in God. That's really the, the, the end goal of everything that, that happens. And if you take it down to the root, that's what's happening. Even go back to Genesis 3, the, the fall of man. Verses one through six says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the, anim- the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but, the, God, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it and you must, or, or you will surely die. She knew what God said and she believed him. And then look this, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, um, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. That woman, okay, just kidding. 
I'm just kidding. You, you show a guy food and he's like, yeah, I'm down. You know, I mean, that's, it's our own fault, you know. Okay, but go, go back here. When she said exactly what he, and he said, you will not certainly die. That was really the thing. Then he, I mean, he started promising some other things. But the whole point was, don't trust what God told you. Because that probably wouldn't happen. And actually what would happen is this. And he's trying to take your faith from God to him. That's what he was doing there. And he does the same thing to us. So Adam and Eve, really what they did was they abandoned their faith in God. They knew what he said. And they decided, well, maybe not. Maybe that's not true. And that's where he won. He attacked their faith directly. That's what he attacked. And let me tell you, over the last year, faith has been under attack. Faith has been under attack. I mean, it's been attack, under attack for longer than that, but we're seeing just this, uh, this surge of faith being under attack. And the evidence of that is fear. And understand something, fear is running rampant right now. And when fear is present, faith is under attack. Okay, when fear is present, faith is under attack. And that's not to say that if you, if you feel fear, you don't have faith, okay? That is something that people have, have, have said before. And I think people from pulpits just like this, but that's not true. I mean, we can, we can be afraid and still have faith and courage and, and, and go in boldness and we can be scared, okay? But, but know that if fear is present, that means at least your faith is being attacked. Because just like in the garden, what happened was like, oh man, maybe... Maybe I'm missing something. She said, it'd be more like God if I would do this. Man, there was fear present in that moment. They could have been courageous. They could have been bold and they could have still um, acted in faith. But when fear is present, you know that faith is being attacked directly. And, and the thing is, our, fear, fear is an emotion, guys, Okay. And I just wanna, I wanna hit this. Fear is an emotion and there is nothing sinful about emotions themselves, okay? Just like the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. He didn't say, don't, anger don't be angry because that's a sin. He said, in your anger, do not sin. And just like in your fear, do not sin, okay? Do not give in to those things because you, you cannot trust your fear, okay? And so our responses to emotions are incredibly important and that's where the battle is won or lost, is when we feel those things, when we feel the attack of the enemy and we feel that fear coming on is what is our response gonna be to that? And let me be clear about something. I am not saying that you haven't faced hardship this last year. If there's any of you in here or watching that, I'm not saying you haven't faced hardship. I'm not, I'm not belittling any loss you've experienced or saying that I understand everything you've gone through, okay? But let me get real with you for a moment. Can I get real with you for a moment? Is that okay? Okay, you're not gonna throw anything at me? Okay, no? All right. Do you think, I just want you to stop and think, do you think that over the last year, year and a half, everything we face with disease and rioters, and whatever, whatever it is, I mean, not that we've had a lot of rioters here in Middlebury, but, but, but with just all the uproar, and like I said, the disease, all that stuff, do you think that we have faced more physical danger or danger than the early church did in the book of Acts that we see there? And I can tell you something, so again, I'm gonna get real with you. If you think so, you're full of something and it's not faith, okay? That's all I'm gonna say, all right? That's all I'm gonna say, all right? Because look at this, in Acts chapter four, 
okay? Acts chapter four, we see Peter and John. This is just an example right after. I mean, we, we talked about day of Pentecost, everything that happened there. And then in Acts chapter four, what you see is, and I'm not gonna read the whole story because it's kind of long, but you see Peter going in um, to, to worship that day. Guy outside the church begging, he, he heals him, okay? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, and now just get up and walk. And the guy, the guy walks. Well, then him and John, who is with him, they get taken to court, the Sanhedrin, okay, the, the Jewish court. And they're standing before and getting, they were in jail for this, and, and then they are basically getting sentenced, and that's where I want to pick it up. So they, they have them talk, and then they send them back. They're trying to figure out what to do, and they have them come in. So verse 18, Acts 14 says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them, all the threats, um, of death and all that. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, Dave, um, servant our father David. Now get this, why do the nations rage and the people pl uh, people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city and conspired against um, your holy servant, Jesus, who, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided before should happen. Now, Lord, get this, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were literally threatened to be thrown in jail and most likely, it doesn't say what the threats were, but most likely put to death. And their response was, God, help us to speak the word of God, bully, help us, God, do miraculous signs and wonders, the thing we just got thrown in jail for. And that was their response. And I know when we read stuff, it's like, well, yeah, but they were just threatened. They just, they were empty. They said they couldn't decide. But that was chapter four. You know what happened in chapter seven? A guy named Stephen was stoned to death in this exact scenario. Was brought into board of the Sanhedrin, declared Jesus, they stoned him to death. In, in chapter 12, just a few chapters later, James, the brother of John, the guy who was there that day, put to death by the sword. These weren't empty threats. These were real threats on their faith. And that's just a couple that were, I mean, after, in chapter seven, it says there's widespread persecution. It scattered the church and God used that. But that's what they faced. And church, hear me. I'm not downplaying anything you've personally dealt with, Okay. But if this season has taught me anything, it's that we need to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. We have to stand our ground. Because we have to see that and we have to pray to God and say, God, give me boldness. God, give me strength. God, do miraculous signs and wonders. God, fill me with your power, your Holy Spirit, so that I can do what you've called me to do because I know that's what I need to do. 
so I can trust God, believe God in his faithfulness, believing in what is unseen over what is seen. Guys, in Matthew chapter four, Satan comes and tempts Jesus. Okay, he had been, I'm not gonna take you there because again, just, we don't need to, to, to read the whole thing. But in chapter four, Jesus, he, um, he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Talking about being hungry, guys. Like I can't do like four hours without being like, oh man, I need something, you know? And so he, he went and fasted for 40 days, four nights. And that's when Satan came to him, right? At his weakest point in that. And he began to tempt him. And he tried to, he tried to hit him right up, first off, right where he, is, he was at, because he's hungry. And he said, hey, you're, I mean, he, he started even quoting scripture to him and saying, hey, who you are? He's like, you could take these rocks and turn them into bread. Why don't you just do that? And Jesus said, no. Because again, attacking his faith. He said, why don't you just provide for yourself instead of, instead of letting God do that? No. Takes him up on, at one point, takes him up on top of, uh, of, of a high cliff and he shows him all these kingdoms. And he says, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. But again, if you put your faith in me instead of, instead of your God, I'll give you all this. Because this, this happened in Matthew chapter four. This was in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Okay, before it really even started, he would, he'd, gone, he'd gone, prayed, fasted, and he was tempted. And he fought through those temptations and says Satan left him, okay? And what was happening is, is Satan was directly attacking his faith. We talk about the flaming arrows of the enemy. He was directly attacking his faith. Say, don't trust, don't trust him to provide for you. I'll give you this right now. Don't, don't remember the kingdom of God that you're trying to build right now. I want you to take all these kingdoms. You know, if you trust me, okay? And he directly attacked his faith. But here's the thing. That was just a test of his faith in God. That was just a test of it. That was the beginning of his ministry. Really, this was just a precursor to what would happen at the very end of his ministry when Jesus is in a garden and he's praying. And he's so stressed out. Forget 40 days without food. He's so stressed out. He's, he's sweating as if it was blood is what it says. And there's some that would say that there's, it's only happened a few times in history, but there's some evidence to it where somebody gets so stressed and sweats so much that the, the capillaries in their, their veins would, would burst and you'd begin to sweat um, blood out of the pores, okay? That's, I don't know if that's what happened or not. Nobody does, but there are a few instances it's happened, only like one other one, I think. And so it could have even been that, but literally splitting blood. Either way, it was just pouring off. I mean, just not from the heat. Okay, from just the stress of what he was about to do because right after that, he was gonna get arrested and beaten and hung on a cross to die for us, okay? And he, in that moment, he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And my, my challenge to you is this, and why I got real with you for a minute is this, don't fail the test of faith. These things we see, this is nothing, really. Trusting God in these circumstances, this is like I'm hungry and somebody's offering me food. Don't fail those tests of faith. Stay strong in your, in your, in your relationship with Christ. Take your stand because there's a day coming when you're gonna take your stand ultimately. And there's gonna be something you face that is gonna be not just hardship or the easy way, it's gonna be life, death, it's gonna be eternity and missing out on eternity with God. 
And just like Jesus faced, he didn't, he didn't fail that test. And I'm just encourage you guys, don't lose the test of faith. Look, we're all gonna sin. We're all gonna fall short of the glory of God. We're all gonna mess up. We're gonna have that. But take your stand, take your shield so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. Don't let those through because God has a great plan for you. You know, when we started today, I told, told you that what the Roman shield looked like. And the thing to understand about it is when that shield was used, you were fully protected. It's like that picture we had showed. I mean, it was, there was hardly any holes in that. And so when he looked at that and said, this is the shield, this is faith. And it's, it's, it's not hard to see why the Roman um, Empire would have started using that shield, why they would have went to that, because it just totally made sense in their context. And in the same way with faith, you are fully protected. It doesn't matter how fiery the arrows of the enemy are, they will not get through. And let me just read the rest of Psalm 91 to you. And just, I want you to take this in to the content of your own life and understand what God is saying to you about his faith, his faithfulness in you and for you when you put your faith in God. Verse five says this, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the, dead, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will, be, I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Do you receive that today? That's what God's faithfulness does to you. When we take up our shield, but you have to take up the shield. You have to believe God above all other things. You have to see the, the thousand falling at your side, the 10,000 by your right hand, and know that it will not come near me because my God is my refuge and my strength. So take up your shield. It's not just something you wear, it's, not, it's something you take up. It's not enough to look the part, you have to fulfill your duty, you have to believe in those moments and trust God and see it through to the end. We must take up our shield and walk out of faith. Amen? Would you pray with me, worship team, would you come?